everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Monday, May 20th, 2019. Um, in my continue, continuous series of uh, podcasts that I've been doing, um, looking at kind of the behind the scenes work that goes beyond uh, delivering a product, which a lot of people are not privy to. They only see the kind of the, the finished product or the package itself. Um, it's always interesting to me about the people behind the scenes that pull together the marketing plans, the research, some of the marketing work that's needed to promote a brand and make it more aware. Um, and uh, I've got a great call today with a couple of folks who I've, um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, um, to work with uh, in my career, especially over the last few years. I've got in line uh, Seth Cohen and Rob um, Fugetta. Uh, and I hope, Rob, I hope I pronounced your name properly. Let me just say that right off the bat. Did I? Well, it's pretty close. It's, uh, it's like <laughs> the car. It's like the car Jetta. Fugetta. Fugetta. You know, yeah, I'm not, there you go. Rob, and I, I've known you for a few years. I hope you haven't been offended that, that, that I haven't been pronouncing <laughs> been, your last I've been, name. I've been extremely offended, Mark, but I, um, I just let it fly because I like you so much. Oh, I just appreciate kidding. that. I appreciate that. <laughs> the, the more the more insights, strategy audience appreciates that. And Seth, I know I haven't gotten your name wrong because it's, it's a fairly common name. But guys, but guys, welcome to the podcast. And Seth, let's just start off the bat and kind of give uh, the um, audience kind of an overview of, of what you do and some of the uh, interesting work that you've been focusing on throughout the last few years of your career. Sure. Um, so I run a boutique market research company called Q8, along with my partner, Jim Newworth, who's based on the East Coast. And we're focused on um, helping companies get a better understanding of their products, understanding of their customers so that they can uh, do a better job of serving the market. Um, I got my career, um, my research career started at Visa, um, served many, many years there on the client side, and then went on to start the, the research group for eBay. Um, which sort of gave me insight into a lot of the inner workings of the tech world. Um, I've also had an opportunity to be a, a CMO at a startup um, and apply some of these skills practically and, and then launch this company about a decade ago. Yeah, and uh, and there's also a part of your career that I'd like to go back to, the whole Apple discussion that we had a few, um, <laughs> a few weeks ago, because I, I, that will come up during the course of the call, because that fascinates me for a whole a bunch of different reasons but rob um now that i know the pronunciation of your last name uh, <laughs> uh rob tell us exactly what you do because i think what you do is especially important especially for new startup companies getting off the ground and trying to get their brand out there you bet so i'm rob fugetta i'm the founder and ceo of zuberance we are a word of mouth marketing company and we focus on helping companies uh, drive customer advocacy and sales. And the reason that that's more relevant today than ever is that the research shows that most people don't trust, don't pay attention to, in fact, ignore paid media and ads. But what they consistently trust more than anything else is a recommendation from a friend or a family member or an actual user of that product or service. And so what Zuberance is all about is finding those highly satisfied customers and then turning them into a volunteer marketing force uh, for brands, including startups. As you mentioned, Mark, uh, most uh, startups cannot afford splashy ad campaigns. Uh, instead, they have to rely on their customer advocates to spread the word and we provide a software platform and a set of services around that that makes it uh, easy for those customer advocates to get the word out and easy for 
companies to manage their uh, word of mouth marketing programs. Right. Well, and, and you know what's really interesting about that is that um, you know, since I cover the smart home, home automation category, the console gaming category um, in the Valley, and there's a, a, a number of great companies that have uh, these really interesting solutions, you know, but they don't have the marketing budgets really to cut through all the clutter. And um, you know, we, Rob, you and I were talking about this the other day over lunch, is that you, know, you have a situation where a lot of the startups out here that could potentially have a very cool product, a very cool solution. That, you know, they were started up by um, uh, entrepreneurs or, you know, in, in many cases, engineers, and they believe that the product, you know, or the service or the solution that they've developed is so fantastic. You don't have to do any marketing. People will come right to it, and you know, and uh, and buy it. And it's 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 that's really not true. I mean, in in mo many many different ways. And there's kind of this conceit that you have to spend you know, um, tens of millions of dollars, you know, to get your brand out there. And, uh, you know, the, the, the work that you do, Rob, is really incredible because the impact of an influencer or a brand advocate is exp exponentially greater than someone, than a paid ad, as you, you've mentioned before. Well, I mean, the research shows that not only do 92% of people trust word of mouth over any form of advertising, they're also four times more likely to buy a product if a friend recommends or refers it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I looked this up recently, the cost of a single page ad in the Wall Street Journal, one insertion, one time, is $227,000. So a quarter million dollars to run one ad one time in the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. or for an amount much less than that, uh, <laughs> you can afford to fund an army of advocates, tens of thousands of advocates out there very uh, credibly uh, and in a very trustworthy way recommending your product, your brand, your company, your services to their peer networks. So yeah, it's it's highly cost effective and you know everyone has always said, you've probably guys have probably heard this a thousand times, that word of mouth is the best form of advertising and indeed there is nothing more powerful than a customer recommendation. Uh, what we try to do for brands is uh, really amplify word of mouth so that it becomes a powerful part of their marketing war chest. Mm. Well, well, I want to I want to dive a bit more deep um, into that. But Seth, you know, just you know, kind of talking about your back uh, background and some of the work that you know you've done, and you've worked on some fairly work worked with some very high profile companies and some very high um, high profile products. And in fact, just for the audience um, benefit. Um, I worked with Seth on a product called Sling Studio when I was a CMO at uh, Sling Media, which was a really interesting product because that was a completely different usage model. And we, you know, when you go into these into focus groups, you know, you t tend sometimes to, you know, if you're a sharp marketer, you go in there with a base of assu assumptions. But it's always interesting to me after you go through the, the uh, focus group research that some of that research generally will challenge some of your your belief system going in. And um, and I, that was especially I think the case with Sling Studio, if you recall, Seth. I thought that was a, an interesting, yeah. a very interesting. Let, why don't we talk a little bit about that? You know, if if you can kind of clean out the cobwebs, and uh, some of the some of the findings that came back. I know that you, that's probably unfair to you just to kind of ask you that question right on the spot. <laughs> but but let, let's face it. I mean, we if I recall, we went in there with an assumption that um, pre-recorded. I think it was pre-recorded um, video was going to be a big deal with the product. Essentially, it's a solution, everyone, that allows you to essentially turn a, um, 
a mobile situation using mobile phones or even cameras into kind of like a, a, a studio with multi-camera capability that is very easy to do. And if I recall, Seth, you know, the, the research that came back, many of the, group, the folks that we spoke to, it was, it, was some, it was actually the opposite of what we assumed in terms of the usage model. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a great um, example where you guys had a really interesting product. Um, it was put together. It was well thought through. So you developed it, you know, looking at unmet needs and looking at a place, you know, space in the marketplace where you could carve out some growth. Um, but what we then took the opportunity to do was actually, you know, put the concept and the product in the hands of people who we thought would ultimately be the target market for it. Mm -hmm. Try and get some get some good feedback from them on on whether or not they were interested in it, the exact use cases. And I think that really helped you guys um, reframe the positioning of the product so that we yes. were talking about specific use cases when it would work from the consumer's perspective, how they would use it, all the language that they were using to talk about it and the excitement that ultimately came through when they, when, you know, when they talked about it and saw the product itself. Right. And, and what I've always kind of fun, uh, been, uh, been fascinated with the work that you do, Seth, is that um, if we, we were laughing about this the other day when we had lunch is that, um, you know, a, a, a number of years ago, Steve Jobs famously said, someone asked him about what kind of market research uh, does Apple do to understand what kind of products they want to bring to consumers. And I forget, I'm going to paraphrase it, but essentially he came back with a comment, something along the lines of, well, consumers don't know what they want, so we don't know, we don't have to do consumer research. We just tell them what they want. It was words to that effect. And... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so, go ahead go ahead go ahead seth because i know right. i know i know you have a strong opinion about that but that story um, so so i worked in the apple market research department and so I, i'm here to say that they actually do have one and they do listen to it um uh -huh. I, I like to rephrase it in another um quote from steve jobs which is that our task is to read things that are not yet on the page and, mm. and I fundamentally agree with them. You cannot directly ask people what they want. And, and so Apple was notorious for not doing that. What mm -hmm. they were amazing at was uncovering unmet needs. And they didn't do that just by pulling out of a hat. It was you know, understanding people's habits, understanding their pain points, understanding their motivations. And I think that's what the flip side of that Apple quote is, is they were and still are an amazing company at understanding where the market's going. But that doesn't just come out of a vacuum. That comes out of actually you know, understanding people, watching their behavior, um, and, and tracking them. And then on the flip side, what they really also do well is react. Once, right. they, you know, once they have the idea, um, they use people to gather feedback. And I think both of those are great examples where Apple does do a lot of research, just not in the typical sense. They don't take a product and, and throw it out in the market and say, how many people would be interested in this at a $99 price point? Um, mm -hmm. that, that didn't, but they do a bunch of um, understanding about how people work, what drives them, understanding about how technology will ultimately fit into their hands. Right. Well, and I think a great example of what you're describing <clears throat> is excuse me is what they did with um, the iPod, the original iPod. I mean, MP3 players were in the marketplace for several years before Apple introduced the iPod, and they really understood 
the pain points why people were having difficulty with the existing ones in the market. They solved the whole problem of the pirated music issue, but they also solved the issue not just you know to, to please the music companies, but they did such a nice job with iTunes, the original version of iTunes, to allow very to make it easy for people to download music. Because if you recall, it, it was the original MP3 players were out that were out there. It was a it was a very um, complex, confusing, and not a very customer friendly situation. So that's a great example of how um, you know they kind of they'll 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 seize on something that they know that there is a customer need for and just make it a lot better and improve the uh, the experience. Um, Rob, let's talk about some of the um, and you've worked on really some with some very high pro, high profile brands yourself uh, from a band, uh, brand ambassadorship. Um, standpoint and, and getting people, the companies to really understand the power of brand advocates. So, do you have a couple examples you'd like to dive into? Well, yeah, I'll give you one uh, from the consumer world, and then uh, if we have time later, I can share one from B two B. Yeah, uh, where uh, here's a good one, uh, Jenny Craig uh, on the consumer side. So, uh, working with Jenny Craig, we've created a Jenny Craig Ambassador Program. Uh, currently over a thousand uh, ambassadors for Jenny Craig out there telling their friends about the experiences they're having with Jenny Craig, how Jenny Craig is helping them achieve a healthy lifestyle and weight loss and the benefits of Jenny Craig membership. Now, I want to be clear that these aren't paid social influencers, Mm -hmm. right? So these aren't um, people that have large social followings and that Jenny Craig is paying hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, per post for. Uh, by the way, it, you may have, you guys may have seen this just recently that it was revealed that uh, Kim Kardashian is getting now a half million dollars for a single post. Right. One post from Kimmy is going to be a half million dollars. Um, and there's growing evidence, by the way, that most consumers don't trust paid social influencers. Right. Uh, Consumers are smart enough to know that paid social influencers are having their palms greased by brands, and so they're looking with great skepticism at what these paid social influencers are are uh, telling them. But on the other hand, if you take a program like Jenny Craig, these are actual members of Jenny Craig. They're not selected to be a part of this program because they have large social followings, but rather because they're authentically getting great results with Jenny Craig. Uh, and that they're willing to share those experiences with their social networks. Thousand uh, ambassadors, um, they have recommended Jenny Craig more than 10,000 times since Jenny Craig started this program. They've reached millions of prospects, and it's helping Jenny Craig increase awareness, engagement, traffic to the local Jenny Craig centers, and membership, all done through a, essentially a volunteer program of volunteer marketers called Jenny Craig Ambassadors. So. Uh, it's been a really uh, a key addition to the Jenny Craig marketing mix, but I think that, you know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, I don't know how you market a brand or a product effectively in the age where you have empowered consumers who uh, ignore what brands sell them and instead listen to their friends in every single category of product. I don't know how you can effectively market uh, today without engaging those customers, finding your advocates, and making them part of your marketing program, in effect. And that's what Jenny Craig is doing so effectively with the Jenny Craig Ambassadors Program. No, I'll tell you, I I would also point out, Rob, that uh, in the case of the Kim Kardashian situation, what people don't also know about that 
and that's a lot of money for a single post, by the way. I mean, not too many companies can afford that. Is that very often, and I know I know this is specifically the case with um, with Kardashian, and and it's uh, and it's uh, certainly true with others. You can, the, manufa- the 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 company that is hiring her to do that can't control the message. The message is entirely up to uh, to Kim, so to speak. So very often, and that's happened before, where okay, they make a deal with a paid influencer, and the influencer controls the entire message and ends up doing a post that the company who pay, <laughs> paid her is not crazy about because they somehow made a mistake or they they, they, they positioned the product or the, the or the service in the wrong way. And uh, and to your point, you know, I think the, the, the whole paid influencer uh, thing, while it might resonate with, a, with, with some customers, I think there is a high degree of skepticism for that. And uh, you also see it, by the way, surface with product reviews. I mean, um, and, you know, of course, you know, you know, Amazon, companies like Best Buy and others have have um, libraries on their website where you can kind of review product reviews. But then there's, there's the whole situation about paid reviews and, you know, reviews sometimes that are that are uh, written by the manufacturer themselves, which obviously is a, is a bad thing. And, um, you know, these phony reviews, so to speak. So I really do agree with you, um, uh, Rob, that, you know, the the the, the authentic nature of an uh, of an influencer or a brand advocate is extremely powerful, very very powerful. And, and Rob, I wanted to add, uh, um, and Mark, I wanted to add one thing on top of that. Um, I think what Rob's company is doing really well is taking you know what was the buzz uh, ten years ago, which was net promoters, and actually turning those people into advocates for your brand. So it's not just about understanding. You know, and measuring how well you're doing in the marketplace, which is a very important part of understanding you know, how your company is doing, but then actually being able to leverage that data into people who will tell their stories, into people who will um, promote those stories for you, sort of the, the great next extension of how to tap into your satisfied customer base. Mm. Well, Seth, I'm glad you brought that up. And interestingly enough, we actually were incubated at Satmetrics, uh, which is the co-creator, along with Fred Reicheld and Bain, of Net Promoter. And uh, the story there is that, you know, uh, while I was um, connected to Satmetrics, I was looking at uh, Net Promoter data for scores of companies across many industries and I was seeing that rather consistently, somewhere between 20 to 50 to even 60% of a company's customers were telling them we were self-identifying as promoters in these net promoter surveys. In other words, they were answering, answering that the ultimate question, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague? Uh, they were answering nine or 10 on the zero to 10 scale. So I asked the following question, what are companies doing with those promoters? Mm-hmm. And the answer is nothing. And that seemed to me to be a, a, a real, uh, a huge wasted opportunity. If you're running net promoter surveys and you have hundreds or thousands of customers regularly telling you they would recommend you to a friend, you really need to take that next step with them and then say, uh, we're delighted to hear that you would recommend. And here are some ways that you can do that. And uh, uh, not enough companies do that. And so they're sitting on really what could be a very powerful marketing uh, program uh, because they're not leveraging those promoters. Uh, the more companies that do that, uh, that take that approach, Seth, and take those promoters to the next level and make it easy and even rewarding for them to recommend to friends, uh, there's a big benefit there in terms of awareness and reach and sales. 
I want to ask both of you a loaded question, which I love to do that live on a podcast. Uh, uh, so you can turn your microphones off if, if you'd like. But um, Seth, uh, give me a, a story or two. You don't have to name the company if you, uh, if you don't want to, or if you do, that's fine too. But um, when you've kind of encountered them, you know, because you know, every company likes, wants to do market research. Most of them are, are, are fairly receptive to doing type of research. But what happens in, in that situation where you go in and do a folk, I mean, you do a lot of um, um, qualitative research, focus groups and things like that, where you went in, did a bunch of research, and the findings came back in complete antithesis of, of, of what their original assumptions were. And uh, do you end up in a situation where they end up challenging the research, or do you find that most companies will accept the findings and then will adjust their strategies and plans based on the, the findings that you uh, you develop? Well, I hope as good marketers and good product development people that they don't just accept um, a story that they get. We generally work with clients um, in a collaborative way where we're building this together. The mm -hmm. idea is that they have an idea, we're testing it, and we're trying to understand from the from the consumer, from the market perspective, how it's going to land. And we come back and we help them build that into the into the story. Um, frequently that does um, challenge some of the internal beliefs um, because they've been talking, you know, drinking their own Kool-Aid, talking amongst themselves. Um, mm -hmm. But I usually find that if we build this correctly, then, then, then we're very successful in landing the results. Now, sometimes um, it happens that it's, you know, tweaks to the marketing or tweaks to the, to the product itself. There's other times where the company has to really sit down and think, do we have the right product and do we have the right go-to-market strategy? Mm -hmm. And in the most successful examples of, of research we've done, the company will end up um, pivoting to, in a new direction based on feedback from the market. It's, um, and, you know, and, We've all worked with startups. That's the beauty of working with startups is that you're supposed to, you know, run fast, try things. If they be, don't be work, nimble, be nimble. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. If they don't work, try a different strategy or, you know, continually be optimizing. And I think that's what that's what our company helps helps companies do very well is you know, get things in the market, get feedback from the users. And then if necessary or as necessary, um, change things up and pivot. Well, and I, and, I, and, I, and I will say one thing. I think the value of your uh, company and the work that you do, Seth, is when, they, when you're get, you get engaged very early in the product development cycle. Because in many cases, and I'll just bring up that Sling Studio example before, if you recall, we didn't have a working product. We had kind of a concept, a strat, you know, a, a kind of a, a thought process. And um, at my urging, if you recall, we developed that two or three minute animation video. There's wonderful things mm -hmm. you can do with animations. And uh, that was because without that, you wouldn't be. We would not have been able to convey what the product did because it was kind of a breakthrough solution in terms of the way we're, uh, we were aiming at the, at the particular type of customer. And uh, I guess my message to any uh, startup company is get the research entities like Sess Group involved early because that that allows you to make tweaks and modifications to a product. If you if you're in the eighth inning of developing a product and you do a lot of research. It's cut in many cases. It's hard to make that pivot, you know, at at the very end because you're already down the path. But um, just turning the the the, um, the the mic over to Rob, Rob, have you had a similar type of situation where, um, you know, you you 
you just found that when you engage with that company, and I know you, you, you mentioned uh, you have a B2B example you'd like to talk about, but when you f found that a company, frankly, you know, wanted to engage you guys, and they didn't quite understand, frankly, what brand advocacy is because of all the issues we've been talking about. So have you run into that kind of situation before? Uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're still at the stage of uh, our approach to marketing where we're still doing a lot of evangelism and a lot of education. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that, um, but I think that most marketers um, are, well, first of all, there's, there's hardly ever a line item in the budget called word of mouth marketing. Uh, <laughs> and so we're creating the budget the category, for word of mouth right. marketing yeah, in many cases still. Mm -hmm. um, although, uh, according to the AMA, 64% of marketers say that word of mouth marketing is more effective than any other form of marketing. Um, they're not in many cases. They're not taking the next step in creating a word-of-mouth marketing program now They may have bits and pieces of it, you know, so they'll have like a customer reference program or they've got some sort of Testimonials program underway, but they don't really have a customer advocacy program so um, we, we do still find that you know when we engage with a prospective client that we still have to educate and evangelize the notion that uh, your customers will serve as effective advocates and we have to show them a lot of case studies and depending on where, where they are in terms of how visionary they are or how uh, progressive they are as marketers, we still have to do a lot of convincing that if you just let your customers, if you just give them this opportunity, they'll, they'll participate in an advocacy program. Uh, in some cases that works and in some cases it, you know, there are a lot of long delays in getting a program started. Right. Well, in, in the couple of minutes we have left here, um, Seth, what advice would you give to to uh, prospective uh, company, uh, prospective startups and entities like that who are looking to do um, engage with uh, the kind of market research and work that you do? What advice would you give them if you could give them, you know, a thirty second kind of a, yep. you know, th things to think about before they engage with uh, folks like you? Well, I think there's a couple things that startups need to do um, you know, fairly early. One is really understanding their customers. And if they can do that through internal feedback loops, um, user experience research, I think that's sort of the best way to jump in. But as they're you know, getting ready to go to market or getting ready for the next push, understanding the market, so understand, you know, under, being able to segment people into different groups of potential target customers um, is incredibly valuable gives you both a, a flavor of sort of what's driving them, who they are as people, and how best to reach them. Mm -hmm. I think also as they go into through that segmentation process, what they'll find is they'll be able to much better crystallize the conversation with the board um, and sort of outside stakeholders as to here's the people we're trying to reach, here's why we think it's going to resonate, and here's how it's going to activate in the market. And I think that's what companies uh, such as Q8 Research are able to help startups do is really sort of um, hone in the product, tweak the messaging, identify the potential target customers, and build out that story. Mm -hmm. Rob, same question for you. Well, I think that uh, if uh, a company still needs convincing that in this day and age, word of mouth is important, uh, if you still need to be convinced of that, I think one thing you can do, and I'll pick it up here from what Seth said, do a little research. Uh, if you don't know, you should be asking your customers this key question. 
what sources of information did you use and what influenced you most in your purchase of our product or service? And you can ask them, uh, was it an, a paid advertisement that you saw? Um, was it word of mouth from a friend or a peer or a family member? Was it reviews that you read online? And you know, if, if you need convincing, then you can ask your customers how they found out about you and how they decided to purchase. Uh, chances are you're going to find that word of mouth uh, and things like online reviews are going to come up quite high in that research. And that should give you um, the proof that you need to go to your management team or your board and say, you know, look, this is how our customers are finding out about us and this is what's influencing their purchase decision. That being the case, we should be investing in a word of mouth marketing program so we don't leave this to chance. Uh, so if you need it, you can always do some research. If not, uh, I would say just get started. Uh, go out, uh, we can help you with this. Identify who those advocates are and give them some opportunities to recommend. Um, I, I like that approach of just jumping right in there because these days you would think most people don't need the convincing, but if you do, you can always run some quick and easy research. Right, and, and, I'll, and I'll just conclude with the fact is that without getting into a whole lot of numbers, because we have, I have used your, your company services at one of my prior employers is that it's a very affordable service. We're not talking about <laughs> tens of millions of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. So um, cost should not really be a big, um, a big reason not to uh, take on uh, that type of uh, capability that your company provides. But anyway, Rob, Seth, thanks for your time. Uh, Seth, um, I'll put this in the spe in the notes of the uh, of the podcast so people can contact you. But very quickly, Seth, the, the uh, to get a hold of your website, could you uh, spell it out for the audience? Yeah, it's it's the letter Q, the number eight research dot net, Q eight research dot net. And Rob, same thing for you. Yep, zuberance.com. Very simple. Uh, so again, everyone, thanks for everyone's time for tuning in to today's podcast. Please follow more insights strategy on our usual social media suspects, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And until next, uh, the next time we have our chat, have a nice weekend.